0: Welcome to the 24-Minute Bible Podcast featuring Pastor Mark Minor, where we will journey together to help you grasp how the Bible fits together to provide a coherent, understandable, and historical book. The purpose of this podcast is not to convince, but to help you understand. Not to defend, but to connect the dots of this most amazing book. Not to debate, but to discover the plan of the Bible. There is a plan. If you enjoy what you hear today, please leave us a review. It really does help us. And now, here's Pastor Mark.
1: Well, hello, everyone. I hope you're having a great day. Thank you for loaning me 24 minutes of your very valuable time. I promise I will do my best to make it worthwhile to gain use, help you gain some insight as we here at the 24-Minute Bible seek to understand in a simple way the journey of the Bible and to put it all together in a way that makes sense to us. So uh, today we're going to be looking at episode 24. It's called Israel's Place in the Bible, Then and Now. I'm not much of an artist. I can paint a wall, but I've never painted a picture in my life. I've never had an art class. But I do appreciate art, uh, from Bob Ross to Da Vinci to the comic books to whatever it is that you view as art. Uh, I, I love it. But I've watched artists, and one of the things I've noticed that they do is that they lay down a certain bed of colors. They have on their palette a certain color, and and then it's uh, maybe it's dark, or maybe it's a rose color or something. And then uh, they put that down, and then on top of that, they lay another color and another color. And and that seems to me, from my unskilled eye, the way that the artist creates things until you get the Mona Lisa or you get Bob Ross's little squirrel right there. Uh, Whatever it may be, I I don't understand it totally. But as we talk about the Bible, the Bible is, in many senses, layer upon layer upon layer. And uh, we're in episode 44 here today as uh, I speak with you. The first 36 lessons were uh, really a compilation from Genesis to Revelation, helping you put the Bible together in a chronological way. Since episode 37 and on, I've been trying to lay down some foundations, pick some subjects that maybe are like a river or a thread or a color that runs through the Bible that we don't always understand because we look at it in just the book or the time frame that we're in. But, But there's a continuity to it and there's a plan to it. Uh, That is our life. As we get older, we look back and we see that the things that that, uh, were happening that were very real to us, but we didn't understand at first exactly the significance of it. But as we continue to go on in a progressive way, revelation takes place. And that's the way the Bible really is. So today, we're going to talk about a subject that I'm always excited about. And of course, that's the nation Israel, Israel's place in the Bible then and now. We're going to look at three things. We're going to look at how Israel became God's people. Secondly, we're going to look about what uh, talk about what has happened to the Jews over the last 2000 years. And thirdly, we're going to talk about the current and future place of Israel. So, welcome today again to the 24-minute Bible podcast. Let's jump right in and talk about uh, it's kind of a review for some of you, it might be new to you if you're new to this podcast or even new to faith or at least exploring the Bible. But we're going to talk about how Israel became God's people. When Noah and his wife got off the ark. They had three children Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And and as we continue to read the Bible in Genesis, uh, through the early parts of Genesis, we see some genealogies. Now, I'm kind of big on genealogies, names matter. Terms matter, and it's important for us, especially if you are a believer, a Christian, to understand the terms that you're saying and not just toss out words, mimic things that you've heard a pastor or a teacher or a friend say. So let's look at some understanding or some names concerning this group of people that God has called. First, let's talk about Shem. He was on the boat ride, he was in the ark for over a year, and now, after the ark is opened up and they're back on the earth, Shem moves to the east. Well, you might say, what's the big deal there? Shem is the father of all the Shemitic people. If somebody says I'm anti-Semitic or you call someone anti-Semitic, you're basically saying that they are anti-Shem because Shem is the father of all the Semitic people. It's not just the Jews. It's not just Israel. Uh, they're a wide umbrella of people that are from the lineage of Shem. But just remember that, Shem. And then Shem had a great-grandson, His name was Eber. We read about him in Genesis 10, 24. But I don't care about the story as much as just the name. The the term Eber now has morphed into what we know as the Hebrews. The Hebrews were the people of Eber. We read about that in uh, the book of Exodus, the Hebrew people. Moses was one of the Hebrews. Well, that comes from Eber, the great-grandson of Shem. So we got the Shemitic people. Then we're narrowing it down to the people that are from Eber, the Hebrew people. And then it gets narrowed down even more in Genesis 12. Uh, when When God speaks to one man in the east part of the world at that time, in what would today be Iraq or the Chaldees is where the Bible says he lived, his name was Abraham. Abraham was six generations after Eber. So he was the grandson with five greats in front of it, if you want to go that way on the genealogy. But Abraham descends from Eber. There are a lot of other people that were Hebrews, but Abraham specifically comes from the lineage of Eber. And so God speaks to Abraham and he calls him. From Genesis 12, you've heard me say this if you've listened before, from Genesis 12 all the way to Acts chapter 2 in the Bible. All we are doing is talking about the children of Abraham. We are looking at their interactions. We are looking at their failures as well as their successes. We're looking at their temple. We're even naming our children after their names, many of them. And ultimately, we see, of course, the Messiah Jesus coming from the children of Abraham. If you read the book of Matthew and you look at the genealogies, it takes the genealogy of Jesus back to Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons, as the old child song says. So, Abraham. Then we go from Abraham. Abraham had a grandson. And Abraham's grandson was a man by the name of Jacob. Jacob and Esau, but we focus in on Jacob. If you remember the story about Jacob, Jacob was wrestling with an angel or a being. Some think it was Christ. Some think it was the Lord himself. Whatever it was, it was a spiritual being. And the fight went all night. And finally, Jacob would not let go. And he said these words, I will not let go until you bless me. And the angel or Christ himself or whatever, whoever it was he was wrestling with, blessed Jacob. And here's how he blessed him. He changed his name from Jacob, which means the deceiver or the supplanter, to Israel, which means he who struggles with God. So Jacob got a name change. That was the blessing. And what a blessing it truly was. So now we're talking about Abraham, or excuse me, now we're talking about Israel. So we go from Shem to the Hebrews to Abraham. And now we're talking about Abraham's grandson, Jacob, also known as Israel. Israel, of course, if you remember from Sunday school, had 12 boys. And those boys, those sons, became the 12 tribes of Israel. So that's where we get the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. Of those 12 sons, and again, we're just getting the names together, the Shemitic, Hebrew, Abraham, Jacob, or Israel. And Israel, this man Jacob or Israel, had uh, 12 sons. The fourth son uh, was a, a man by the name of Judah. And when we read about the term or express the term Jews, we are literally talking about the children of Judah. Now, we lump those all together. All of these names get kind of commingled and mixed up. But I think for you on this very uh, scholarly lesson today from the 24-Minute Bible Podcast, that that you might just understand how those names come. Uh, Of course, the Jews uh, were one tribe of the 12 tribes. And that's significant because Jesus, of course, came from the tribe of Judah. He's the Lion of Judah. He's the King of the Jews, so Jesus had to come from the lineage of Judah. Now we could go on from there, but just want you to understand the name Shemitic and Hebrew, and particularly the name of Israel and Jewish or Jews. So again, from Acts twelve to, to or excuse me, from Genesis twelve to Acts two, we are talking about the lineage of Abraham and all his kids and their events, ultimately culminating in the birth, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then from Acts chapter 2 on, uh, the Israelites become less of an issue. The children of Abraham are not really the focus anymore, are they? Because we're looking at places like Rome and Athens and Thessalonica and Ephesus. None of those are Jewish names. None of those are Jewish places. Everything's changed because the gospel is spread out now into the world because Jesus accomplished everything uh, on the cross But the Jews were the basis or the seedbed, if you will, that provided the Messiah. So how should we describe the children of Abraham in the Bible? How does the Bible describe them? Well, it calls them chosen, and they were. Uh, They weren't smarter, better, uh, more gifted than anybody else, but they were chosen by God at his divine and sovereign purpose. They were blessed in so many ways. They were blessed with what they were given and what knowledge they were shown and the experiences they had. They were honored because to be uh, a child of Zion or a a Jew was to be a very blessed individual. But all of that kind of weaves into a a little analogy here. Uh, The Jews would carry around with them this holy vessel, It was a wooden box, basically the size of a casket, if you will. It was called the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant, they carried something very, very precious. They carried two stone tablets that had been etched, engraved by the very finger of God, the Ten Commandments that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai. But that's really not the greatest thing that the Jews carried, because in in their box they had the written Word of God on tablets of stone, but in their flesh, in their genetics, in their DNA, they were the vessels or the vehicle that carried the very Word of God in flesh, Emmanuel, we call him Jesus that's the purpose. That was God's people. So we we spent 10 or 12 minutes here just talking about the nation Israel, but it's very important for you to understand that they were the vehicle, the vessel through which Jesus Christ, the the Lion of Judah, the King of the Jews, was to come. So that's how a little bit God uh, called Israel to be his chosen people. Now, let's talk about what has happened to Israel over the last 2,000 years. It's been a long time since uh, Jesus was crucified and resurrected. It's been a long time since the book of Acts and the Bible was closed, or the last book was written in about 90 AD. So what's taken place? Well, I'm going to give you, a, and I'm going to toss in a couple of caveats, and a, I want you to think about this rather than a certainty of this is the way it is. I want you to examine, you know, uh, what I'm about to say, and you may agree or disagree. But if if there was one word that I could attach to the nation nation of Israel over the last 2,000 years, it would be this word, scattered. The Jews have been scattered all over the world. They are literally in every country uh, in on the planet today, with the exception of Antarctica, and I don't think anybody lives in Antarctica except penguins. But in, in all the other continents, there are there is a Jewish representation. Brazil and Argentina, South America, huge represent, representation and populations of Jews. Australia has a large population of of Jewish ethnicity. Russia, very large. Canada as well. And the largest of all populations outside the uh, nation of Israel is the United States. And that's the largest concentration of Jewish people. So they've scattered all over the world. But there's one other thing that I would make you help you to understand. And it's found in Matthew 27, 25. Uh, Get the scene now. We're at the cross uh, or not the cross. We're at Pilate's uh, throne and he comes out and he finds no charge in this man. And he brings out a bowl of water and he washes his hands. And he says those words, I find no guilt, no charge against this man. He is innocent. I'm just paraphrasing now. But if you might remember what the people said, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and all the crowd standing there that, that good Friday morning, they uttered these words found specifically exactly in Matthew twenty-seven twenty-five. They said, let his blood be upon us and our children. Wow. Have you ever said something that you didn't know how profound it was, but you felt it, maybe had to live with it for a long time, perhaps the rest of your life? I think these words literally define the existence of Israel over the last 2,000 years. No other group has experienced the extreme hatred that the Jews have. Africans, uh, Hispanics, uh, Native American Indians have all been exploited, sold into slavery, being used as servants, no doubt about that. But with the Jews, it's different. They were not exploited. They were, purely and simply put, they were hated. There was no desire to make them slaves. There was a desire to eliminate them, to kill them. There have been so many numerous genocides or pogroms, and that, that word literally means a massacre with the purpose of extinction of a certain group or ethnicity. And, and nowhere and no other group has experienced so many genocides against them as have the Jews. Uh, Part of that may be because Satan knew that the Messiah was going to come through them, but it's even past and post-Jesus. For example, Pharaoh's massacre of the males in in the book of Exodus. He was killing all the males, which would have ultimately eliminated the uh, tribe of the children of Abraham and and the Israelites and his 12 tribes. Uh, Of course, that didn't work. You might remember the book of Esther, and there was Haman uh, who attempted to massacre all of the Jews by some political intrigue with King Artaxerxes, uh, but his attempt was to massacre all the Jews in Persia and Susa. That would have been the entire group of the Judah uh, or the Jewish population, which would have included the seedbed of Jesus. Had he been successful? No Jesus, at least theoretically, because that seedbed would have been eliminated. He failed, of course, and he was hung on the very gallows he intended to hang the hundreds of thousands of Jews there. But that was a pogrom or a genocide. In Russia in the 1890s and early 1900s, over 1, 150,000 Jews were killed simply because they were hated, they were maligned, they were despised. And of course, all of us can remember and know, uh, understand the, the Nazi genocide of the six million Jews perpetrated during uh, and before World War II. So we've had these genocides. But my friends, it's not just outside in the world in the political realm. It's even been in the church. Uh, Let me quote Martin Luther to you, that great saint who uh, broke free from Catholicism and started what we know was the Protestant movement, Protestantism. Martin Luther, great man of God, but listen to his opinion of the Jews and of uh, the Semitic people. Here's what he said to do, not to them, but to their, their synagogues. I'm quoting now. He says, first, set fire to their synagogues or their schools, and to, and to bury and cover with dirt whatever will not burn, so that no man will ever again see a stone or a cinder of them. He's talking about the Jewish churches, if you will, the synagogues, the schools. And then he goes on and says, this is to be done in honor of our Lord and of Christendom, so that God might see that we are Christians and we do not condone or knowingly tolerate such public lying, cursing, and blaspheming of his son or of his Christians. That's a quote from Martin Luther. Doesn't sound like he's really on the side of the Jews. He continues on, we should not protect or shield such a house of the Jews existing right before our very nose. Wow. A lot of animosity to the Jews over these last 2,000 years. Let me fast forward to early 1900. Uh, Here's a phrase that uh, you might uh, not have heard of, but you know the man who said it. Uh, Here's the words. International financiers are behind every war. They are what is called the international Jew. German Jews, French Jews, English Jews, American Jews. The Jew is the threat. Who said that? Henry Ford, whose vehicle you might drive. So there's a lot of animosity, and I can quote many others here, but but there's been a a scattering. You might have a wandering Jew plant in your home if you have house plants. And part of that is because the Jews knew they would never be able to settle in one area for long. Persecution was going to follow them everywhere they went. They were wandering Jews. And hence, they did not become farmers. They did not do anything that required them to own or manage land. The Jews learned trades. They work in all sorts of different trades. Uh, They're craftsmen. They're skilled in in whatever it may be that they do. They've also been responsible for a lot of great inventions that we utilize today. For example, in no particular order, uh, if you uh, Google something, that came from two Jewish boys. So the platform, the Internet technical platform to be able to search, the search engine, if you will, Google, came from the Jewish, two Jewish people. Uh, Nuclear power with Robert Robert Oppenheimer and, of course, Albert Einstein, both very prominent Jews that unleashed, broke the... uh, atom, split the atom and caused the chain reaction. Yes, it was a, uh, caused the bomb that may have won the war, but it also caused many other things as we use nuclear power. The polio vaccine, stainless steel. If you have a pacemaker, that was invented by a Jew. If you've been saved by a defibrillator, that's that was invented by someone who was Jewish. The ballpoint pen, the TV remote, even the teddy bear and the Barbie doll were all invented by Jewish individuals. So there have been some good things that have come from the Jews, but they have wandered and been scattered for the last 2,000 years. Now, I mentioned in last episode, episode 43, that, that I thought the greatest sign of the return of Christ, or at least laying the foundation for the return of Christ, was the creation again after 2,000 years of history of the nation Israel. There was no nation Israel for 2,000 years. Today, very much there is. Uh, So what's the current and future place of Israel as we close out here? Well, there are two theories concerning Israel. Uh, One of them is that the church has replaced Israel. That's called replacement theology. So Israel basically was important to get the Messiah here, but now that Jesus is born, we don't need the Jews anymore. We don't care about Israel. They're gone. They're on the trash heap of society. It's all over. That's replacement theology. I don't subscribe to that, but that is a very prominent theory in some circles. Uh, there's a second theory or theology, if you want to use that word, concerning Israel, and it has to do with Israel and the church, that the church and Israel co share unique parts of the covenant of God. In other words, the church is grafted in to Israel. And of course, that's really what Paul, I think, is talking about in Romans chapter 11. Let me just read through a few verses out of Romans 11, verse 1, as Paul is writing about his people, the Jews, and he asks this question, I'm quoting now, I asked then, did God reject his people? By no means. Paul seems to say that the Jews haven't been rejected. He goes on in verse 11, and says, again, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Paul seems to be saying that there's going to be a recovery of the Jewish nation. I think we may have seen it in, at least in the 40s and 50s uh, as it continues into our own lifetime. Verse 17, as Paul continues on in Romans 11, If some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, he's talking about us Gentiles, if indeed you're a Gentile, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap of the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. My friend, if you have an apple tree, if you have a golden, delicious apple tree, my favorite apple, by the way, uh, and, and the fruit is bearing, and those crisp, tart, wonderful apples, crisp, you bite into it. But if you've bought an apple tree, I would en- encourage you to look almost certainly the stalk that is at the bottom. The root is that of a crab tree. And what they do is they take different types of apples, honey crisp or red delicious, golden delicious, my favorite, and they graft them in. So the root is solid and it's powerful. It's not pretty, but it supports the golden delicious apple tree that you uh, love to to grab uh, the fruit off of. Well, that's what Israel does for us. And Paul's saying that here, that Israel still has a place in theology and in the world today. He finishes out and says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may become conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles have come in. And then all Israel will be saved. Sounds to me like Paul's saying they weren't rejected, they didn't fall beyond recovery, and there's going to be a restoration of the nation Israel. And I believe that has happened. I believe we're seeing that even today. He goes on and says, as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Sounds like the God who took away your sins may be dealing with the sins of his culture, of his nation, Israel. Uh, Two things to remember here. I mentioned these last week. There there are some irrevocable promises God made. One of them is that they would always, always, always have the land. It would be theirs. The title indeed. Even when they weren't living there these last 2,000 years, God still saw it as their land. And he's given it back to them the irrevocable promise of the land of what we now know as the country of Israel. There's a second irrevocable promise and that's of the blessing of his blessing upon them. Even though they've been sinful and fallen and wondered in so many ways, God's word to Abraham is still true today. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And I think we've seen that. I want to close out very quickly here in these last few seconds to t- just uh, reference something that happened with Noah. Noah, uh, got off the ark, and without going into the whole story, Genesis 9, 24, 25, and 26 is where this may be found. But God, uh, excuse me, Noah gave a prophecy concerning his three sons. To Canaan, he said, you're going to struggle. You're going to be a slave to your brothers. To uh, which Canaan was the son of Ham. So to the Hamitic race. Uh, But to the people of Shem, from which Jesus Christ comes that we've studied from Genesis 12 all the way to Acts chapter 2. Here's what Noah says in this prophetic way. Praise be to the Adonai, the word there is Lord, but it's the term Adonai, which means our personal Lord, almost always referring to Jesus, the God of Shem. And then to Japheth, he says these words. May God extend Japheth's territory. That's the Caucasian people, to put it in our terms today. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. I'd ask you just to think about this. For the last 2,000 years, who's lived in the tents of Shem? Who's been the one who has worshiped and adored and provided and evangelized and shared and loved and promoted uh, the cause of Christ? It has not been Shem. It has been Japheth. We live in the tents of Shem. We name our children biblical, Old Testament, Shemitic names like David and Deborah and, and, and on and on. De- uh, you, you, you know all the names. <clears throat> Why is that? Well, I think it has to do with that prophecy. I believe that if Christ comes back, and I'm a little over right now, but hang with him for just a moment, uh, there are some, my, my, I'm one of them, that believe that there's a time coming when the church is going to be removed from planet Earth. Oftentimes it's called the rapture, where Christ comes not back to the earth, but meets us in the air, and the church, his bride, a very unique group of people, everyone who is saved or believes in Christ, a Christ follower now, will be removed from planet earth. If indeed that's the case, then the focus in the last days will again return to the nation Israel. I've referenced, I think, already, but in the book of Revelation, the first three chapters are all about the seven churches of, uh, of Asia. It's all about the churches, but from Revelation 4 on, no more mention of the church. But we do have a mention of a focus of Israel. For example, in Revelation 7, there'll be 12,000 from every tribe, 144,000 total, that will be on-fire evangelists for Jesus Christ during this period of time. There will be these two witnesses that will live in Jerusalem. They will be killed, slain for their faith. But God will bring life back into them. And they also will evangelize through their miracle for the cause of Christ. And, of course, the last war that we experience is the War of Armageddon, which takes place where? Right in the very belly, the heart of Israel, in the valley called Jezreel. So uh, all of these things have a focus with Israel, it seems to me, uh, in my Uh, understanding that uh, Israel is going to be very much and is very much a part of the prophetic word uh, that is taking place today. Well, I'm over, so I'm going to close this time. Thank you for listening. Next week, we're going to take a two-part series on understanding family in the Bible. What does God and the Bible have to say about family? Much debate today concerning the family. We're going to look at some biblical understanding and also some practical things that will help you with your family. Thank you very much for hanging on with me through this 24-plus minutes. I appreciate you listening. And uh, thank you. Have a blessed day and hope to see you next week on the 24-Minute Bible Podcast.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the 24-Minute Bible Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and look forward to continuing this journey to understanding the Bible, please subscribe to the channel. And if you would be so kind, please share it with your friends who might enjoy it as well. Join us next week with Mark Miner for another episode as we continue to explore how the Bible so beautifully fits together. May you have a blessed week and may God be glorified in your lives.